The End of the Line, Episode 35, Roz. You'd have done the same, I'm sure. Be odd if you didn't. It's only human and so surely that's the natural reaction to something like that, isn't it? Of course, the chief inspector won't see it that way. The thing he'll throw at me, I'm certain, is that with my level of training and experience, no matter what the provocation, I know I must always rise above the normal human reaction. Not to lose my shit and lash out at someone. And I do know that. When we change into our uniform to go out on patrol, we have to leave the normal civilian side of ourselves in our locker. And always, always, we must bury our outrage every time we see what terrific thing some evil bastard has done to another living being, human or animal, with the representation of the law. So in any situation, we are duty-bound to always maintain professional distance, take a firm but neutral stance, be the calming influence and voice of reason, even while being threatened and spat on or abused verbally and sometimes physically. (laughs) That happens far too often. Our uniform may act as a sign of hope for people in need of help, but it also makes us an easy target for those with an axe to grind against the police or the state. All that can take a heavy toll on us. It certainly has me. So yeah, I have to accept whatever disciplinary action the boss has decided on. I only hope he doesn't send me on medical leave pending another psychological evaluation as well, because he's concerned this was another reaction to... Well, let's not go there. You see, at any moment, on any day, things we deal with can swing between hilarious and heartbreaking. One minute you're siphoning a tear, the next you're having a laugh. Then you see something that sends shivers down your spine. That's what happened that day. It started with the decomposed remains of a long dead pensioner nobody had thought to check in on until the smell and the flies got so bad a neighbour called their landlord. Sadly, stuff like this is not unusual as people fall through the social system's cracks and families lose touch so easily these days. But here, there were nobody to notify. Not one friend or relative, no siblings, no children, nada. I guess that's what first loaded the emotional gun I fired off later. I know people assume I'm a selfish, ambitious, career-driven bitch because I never give anyone the chance to even finish stabbing me with that why don't you want children shite. I'm going to enjoy calling them out for it every time and watching them squirm with guilt when I say, what the actual fuck? You don't have the right to ask me or anyone, that very personal fucking question. Thing is, that question assumes every woman can. But not all of us get that birth mother in chance, whether we wanted it or not. My mum and dad always said children are precious and parenting is a privilege. 
When I told them they'd never be grandparents, even though they understood and there was simply no argument against my reasoning, it hurt. At first they softened the blow by joking that they already knew from having me just how demanding and expensive having even just one child is. And they'd much rather spend their money skiing. Not actually, you know, on snow. They meant spending the kids' inheritance. (laughs) They could never really hide their disappointment that I was going to be the full stop, the very last of us. They always tried, though. Bless them. We never broached the baby thing again after that, as they went on to use up all their meagre savings, not so much on holidays as I'd hoped they'd would, but on their end-of-life care. Look, I don't ever want anybody's fucking pity or sympathy here, or ever. It's really nobody's fucking business, but mine that the blade of a knife took away my... So, anyhow, back to that day. See, the thought crossed my mind as the pensioner's body was driven away, me having no family and no kids of my own, is this lonely, sad death a vision of my own future? Morbid, right? Jeez, don't tell my boss I said that. I'd be sat on the mental health assessment couch before they could say bye then. Took me long enough to get off it last time, thank you very much. And going back there could mean bye-bye to any promotion chances for me. And even to my job, if I'm not passed as fully fit for service. I mean, yeah, it is good to talk, but you know, I already talked my little life sentence out of my system with the professionals before. And sure, my inexcusable outburst was likely related to that in some way. But trust me, this reaction was very different even kind of feel now that, given the circumstances, my not reacting the way I did would have been far more unnatural. My second call saw me deal with a protester sat high in a dying and unsafe ash tree, halting a road-widening scheme and shouting about saving the planet for our children. Once I'd pointed out that his tree was not the famous old oak threatened with destruction by other roadworks near a similar named place, he was happy to leave peacefully. There was typical banter over my radio telling me I should have twigged and that I needed to call special branching to get to the root of that problem. (laughs) The old thimbly line funnies. Shitty as they always were, right? It helps to maintain a healthy sense of humour and hold on to your humanity. You have to in this job, when sometimes if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. It was then I took that call. You know it's going to be a tough one when you see the paramedics who've called it in to us are sat outside on the ambulance tailgate in floods of tears when you arrive at the scene. My suspicious death instinct kicked in when, on seeing my uniform, the mother blurted out, It was an accident. He'd always been a bloody nightmare, having fits and falling over and stuff. Her arrogant face partner shrugged fake innocence. Seeming more concerned, I might look further than this far too neat bedroom we were stood in. The floor was strewn with toys that looked unplayed with and books with uncreased spines. The child was wearing clothes that looked brand new too. It just wasn't right somehow. The kid's stuff just looked too staged because on closer inspection, 
This beautiful, vulnerable, angelic-looking little boy's broken body looked malnourished and dehydrated. And although I knew I couldn't investigate too close at that point, I could see some clear evidence of old bruises. His head looked misshapen too, from which his fixed and dilated dead eyes stared out at me. I moved out of earshot and radioed control to send a detective and more uniformed support. As soon as they arrived, I did take a look around their nice and cosy little suburban house. Then I found the kids' real room, a tiny one, in the damp, windowless basement. It was a stinking mess of disgusting long-term neglect. I knew they had killed him. And I just snapped. I couldn't stop myself from storming back to his so-called parents, punching the partner, then grabbing the mother by the throat and screaming at the top of my voice, You murdering bitch! What was he to you? Just some fucking fashion accessory you got bored with or free money from the tax credit and benefit? What the fuck did you even have a child for if you didn't really want one? The detective pulled me away and pushed me outside as the other officers took over the arrest. The paramedics, having heard my outburst, nodded their unspoken empathy and approval, but we all knew I'd crossed the line. I didn't really know why I did this time, given all the horrific shits like this I've dealt with before. Maybe it is because I can't now ever. I'm lying to myself, aren't I? There's no maybe about it, I do know. Of course I wanted fucking kids. But the knife attack and the severe beating that I got in my early days in uniform robbed me of that ability. That serrated bloody knife not only destroyed my uterus but it broke my fucking heart too. I still see that arrogant bastard sneering at me from the dock as his lawyer twisted his metaphorical knife into me as well. By using some bullshit mental health mitigation from a medical expert that helped him his client swerve a long custodial sentence. So yeah, this pairs sheer sense of entitlement to ownership of another human's body and apparent lack of remorse reminded me of all that and that triggered my outrage. This defenceless little boy was too young and vulnerable too trusting of their love to understand he'd done nothing wrong and this was down to their cruelty and inhumanity. He would have cried out for their comfort and instead got more hurt. He would have wondered what he'd done wrong to upset them so much that he deserved that. And in that moment, every pain cell in my body cried for his pain too. For the child they should never have had. And for the child I can never have. So go on, I dare you. Ask me that evil fucking why don't you want children question now. And so, here I am. Sat outside my boss's office, waiting to hear if he's decided whether I'll be suspended and sent to see a head doctor. <laughs> or just severely reprimanded and allowed back out on patrol. You know, maybe a visit to the mental health support couch might not be such a bad thing for me after all. You would have done the same, wouldn't you? In or out of uniform, we're all only human. 
And that's surely the natural reaction to something like that, isn't it? You say this is the end of the line, didn't you know? Roz was played by Sarah Sharman. The episode was written by Dee Chilton and directed by Mark Haywood. Casting by Sydney Aldridge. Music by Daisy Tewton Kerry-Ann from The Herd Collective. The episode was recorded at The Sound Company in London and edited by Mitchell Harris. The End of the Line is an Ink Jockey production. But this is nothing.